G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, don't forget, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today I'd like to introduce you to Jasmine Manso, who is doing a degree in a doctoral degree in management and specifically in management information systems under the supervision of Dr. Tracy Jenkin. So welcome to Grad Chat, Jasmine. Welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, once again, I, I, I'm going too loud for myself. I get too close to that microphone, but uh, there we go. I'll turn myself down a bit. Now, I first met Jasmine last week, actually, when he presented his work as part of Grad Research Day, which is something, a new, something new we're trying here in grad studies, and hopefully next year we can make it a lot bigger. Now, after hearing his presentation, of course, I wanted him to come on the show today. So I was lucky I roped him in pretty quickly. I mean, that's that's the way I do it. I, I see someone, I hear what they're doing. I go, right, you need to come on to the show. So as you know, getting students here to talk and practice being interviewed is really, really important in the School of Graduate Studies because it's a, it's a great skill set to have. Now, with this uh, work that Jasmine's doing, research he's doing, he's kept himself pretty, pretty busy. Um, he has his own studies, he has a teaching load, he's a dad, and commuting between Kingston and Ottawa. So there's lots going on there for you, isn't there? <laughs> there is indeed, yes. I am a busy person. <laughs> now, before we talk about your research specifically, what I would like to ask you is, I mean, first of all, you're not on campus the whole time, but you are working and things. But what made you want to come back and do a PhD in management? And in management specifically, because most people think of the Smith School of Business, it's, uh, you know, with executive MBAs and things like that, more the professional programs. Whereas, of course, the program in management, which is in the Smith School of Business, but also under the School of Graduate Studies, is research orientated. So what made you want to come back and do that? That's a really good question, right? Most people think about the school in the graduate level as the MBA, as you said. Mm -hmm. But we do have a doctoral studies and we do some research that, that gets quite interesting. Um, I think there's a couple answers for that. One of them is, is I think a doctoral degree is kind of the culminating point of school and education. And I kind of always enjoyed uh, going to school, studying and learning new things. And I had done an MBA. So I sort of right. like saw on the practice side that it equips you for the workplace. But Anna and I worked for several years as well. But what was interesting is I had this dream one day of, you know, I'd retire from my day job as a management <laughs> consultant and then I'd go and teach, sort right. of like give back to the community. And I was presented at one point in my life way earlier than before retirement with the opportunity to teach a class. So I took it upon myself to teach the course and I sort of like enjoyed it. And I stayed with the school and eventually started to teach a few more classes and found myself teaching more than working and eventually <laughs> sort of like just teaching. And it was sort of a natural 
evolution. Without a PhD, you sort of can't move up in academia. You right. can't reach tenure. And there's those those criteria. So I'm I'm doing if you want the the hardest if you like uh, this professional designation that exists on the planet just to move <laughs> up. Uh, but it was just a logical evolution. The work that I was doing as a as a management consultant was interesting, but I was always interested with the sort of the theories that were coming up. I just it made sense and it was something I always wanted to do and I sort of fit in the community I sort of enjoy researching and I enjoy teaching I just I enjoy it so much which is a bit of an issue because I enjoy it so much I didn't want to stop teaching <laughs> to study to study right it didn't make sense right. to be okay for five years you're gonna stop doing what you love yes and then you can start again so I decided to do both and see how it goes see how it and, goes you know so far it Nothing's exploded yet, so I'm very pleased with this. <laughs> I love that. And, and clearly you've got a very supportive family, which, yes. which really helps to allow you to be able to do that. Been quite blessed so far. I mean, you've mentioned I, I commute back and forth between the two, but I get sort of the best of both worlds. I still see my family a few days a week. Mm-hmm. I study a few days a week. I, I don't miss them because I have you know, had to, to relocate for years and come back with them. So, right. I, it's, so it's sort of a short term pain for a long-term right. gain which is w- really worth it but i'm meeting a lot of interesting individuals and i'm having a i'm having a good time you enjoy you enjoy the challenges that it's at times painful but i think you you see you see some of the successful events you know graduate right. research right. day was interesting just to go and present and meet others and something you wouldn't have if you were perhaps just teaching part-time classes or if you were working as a consultant um, and just the broadness of, of school that is very interesting and conferences, traveling. There's a few yes. things I haven't had the chance to do in years. So and there's now, opportunity for more networking, yes. which is a business person. Yes. Networking is huge, a huge part of that. Exactly. Building that list of people you can just reach out to and, and you never know what's going to happen. And it's basically that, right? It's the idea of in management. It's the people you know, you meet over time and, and sparks just, you know, happens. Right. And you, you may do research with someone or others uh, may involve you and their network so I don't quite know what's going to happen but I'm quite pleased. So what made you choose because in our management program both masters and PhD there's eight different streams so what made you choose management information systems yeah, it's a, it's, as a stream? It's, it's a really good question too right so and I, I'm going to go back always to it's kind of a logical evolution I I was a manager I was a mechanical engineer not so much in technology but ended up working in the oil and gas and technology Right. And then I went to do an MBA, not in technology, but worked for a consulting firm. And the world is so much technology driven that I got pulled on technology projects. And eventually I saw it as an emerging field. It made sense. And if you're in the marketing department, they studied the technology of marketing, e-commerce. Right. If you're in finance now, it's financial technologies, you know, to look at how markets so are it's, behaving. It's so there. And sort of. I wanted to do technology, it didn't really matter where, and so management information systems made sense. But I was I was also interested in maybe like business analytics, the idea of, mm-hmm. um, so there's another discipline that we have that's called that. And now I kind of straddle both by taking classes in both and sort of define myself as spanning a few of those disciplines. So it's great that you're able to do that, particularly with your background as well. Yeah, it, it, makes, it, it makes it interesting. I meet very interesting individuals. Some people may be better in the theory world, but not so much on the technology side, and I may be able to help them there. So we sort of complement each other. Yeah, learning a lot of different things. It's, it's quite rich. 
So that's going to segue into actually what you are researching. Yes. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read this, everybody. But um, Jasmine is interested in the future of work and the changing nature of work more specifically and more specifically how employees are beginning to use artificial intelligence at work through interactions with chatbots. And you may have heard of the IBM Watson and other intelligent employee assistants such as Alexa for business, Google Home at work and those sorts of software that's available to you to us now. And looking at what is the work of tomorrow shaping to be like. So that's really big. And so I think with that, because the, the, the big words in there for me is this future of work and how AI is helping processes in within the work system, within an organization that employees can use. And I'm assuming that's the big part of it. So can you give us a bit of an overview of that research before we get into more specific questions? Yeah. And what made you get into that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a funny story. I was teaching a class part-time. A student sent me a video of a Google assistant making a phone call to a restaurant. And I was just, oh, my God, the world's advanced so much. I have to go to my PhD. Like, now it's time to do it. <laughs> and I told them, I'll still teach, but I'm going to do go do it. So it right. comes from something I'd seen. And it's the idea that now we have Siri and Alexa. We have several of those mm -hmm. devices in our pockets. As consumers, we use them ubiquitously, meaning like they're everywhere. We, we, mm -hmm. we use them all the time. But companies are sort of like starting to realize that their employees may benefit with some efficiencies. Maybe they're saving a bit of time. Right. It's easier to make a phone call. So organizations want these applications. And so it stems back from some of those companies like Google and Amazon. They're launching their own. And there's maybe ideas of like cost efficiencies behind it. And to, to be researched on my idea was, okay, well, it's coming. The world will make use of artificial intelligence. How will employees use them? Um, and in what ways will that make sense to me? And so, as I said, the literature was pretty sparse. There's not much about it. And I always wanted to be at the sort of the fringe of research, which will tie in the reason how I approached my research in such a way. But it's, it's, very, it's very new. And I think organizations, it's predicted to be taking you know, a larger role in our lives. Um, and at the same time, not so much replacing us, but automating, helping us sort of make I think that's an important word, not not necessarily yes. replacing us, because that that's always later. yeah, because yes. that's always the scary yes. the scary thought for everyone. So so what are the challenges when you research a phenomenon that is just beginning to appear? Because you you don't have a lot to go with other than what you've heard. Yeah, no, it's a really good question, right? So from the consumer side, so if you're doing research on the fringe in areas that are not well researched, you may be able to find parallels that you can study mm -hmm. to, to find transferable components. So we've right. studied Siri and Alexa, we've but maybe 10 years of it. There's consumer, there's marketing information on how to develop them, a female voice versus a male voice, what makes the most okay, yep. different. So there, there's a bit of research there. So my research looks at from the consumer side, what can we draw inference on what can we learn from it and then sort of like make generalization to like employees may may behave the same way but now one of the big challenge with that is that if you want to go and ask employees if you want to do a survey with employees there's just no one using them yet it's right. very very limited uh, IBM may be using it for themselves to try to launch and push it to the world and a few companies may have brought Google home at their office to help with their, you know, secretaries or how they make phone calls. But you have to find them. You have to find a sample size that's large enough to try to understand what's happening. So that's one of the big limitations. But also with something that's very risky, there's great rewards. If you were to be the first one yes. to do that, then you'd be one of the pioneers of that area as well at the same time. So that's the gamble I sort of took. And in the management school, we sort of like 
take risks <laughs> and take a few gambles. But I, I decided to do a summer research project on let's go talk with employees. Let's go figure out what they have to say, if I can find some. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how it began. But it's kind of like IBM Watson, those sorts of places. And I know you said you can look at some of the consumer things, but wouldn't they have done their own testing of how it could be incorporated into the business setting as well for you to for you to then just go and ask them who's using it right now because I'd like to ask them questions. It, once again, it's a, it's a very interesting question and you go back to the idea that they may not want to share that yet. They may right. want to save it. So what I find typically is that companies are hard to reach because it's their proprietary information. That's They're trying to figure it out to maybe go and sell it. Right. You may be able to get some of that information and I unfortunately wasn't able to reach a company to tell me, hey, so what's your secrets yet? Right, maybe right. one day. But uh, so then you're left with people that may have used it um, or others and your network. Like I luckily enough, I've worked enough that I have some of my former students who have gone and worked in some of those companies. Right. So sometimes they're open to generalize. And, and explain. Because you think those companies, I mean, this is a, a great marketing opportunity for them that they would want to sort of find out those that are using it now, whether it was intentionally for that reason in the first, like you said, Google at home, bring it into the business. If it wasn't the intention of that product to start with, for them using it in the in the business setting too. And and it's a very good point. And it may be subsequent researches once you've you've done that first initial search mm-hmm. to find out is there something to begin with, right? Is there is there really a phenomenon to study? I, I'm I'm. It's almost like a hypothesis. People are going to be using it, and there's going to be something good happening or bad happening out of it. So right. I found out that there are things happening now. As you've mentioned, maybe maybe some of the next steps are to go and talk to companies and maybe focus on one of the large ones that you could do some sort of a survey or a study to figure mm-hmm. out what are the best things to do with it. But yeah, this will be year two, three, four, five of my PhD and hopefully <laughs> many, many more years of study into it. Yeah, lots of it because as we know, technology is constantly changing. So just when you think you've got it, it's going to change. Absolutely. Us. So the, the obvious question, when it, and whenever we talk about technology, and particularly in an organization, well, actually not even an organization, even at home, is privacy and security. Yeah. And so you said there was only, a f- at the moment, you only know a few organizations who were starting to implement some bits and pieces or potentially use some of these these software um, apps. The ones that you've talked to so far, do, do any of them come up with straight away as our con- first concern was security and privacy and things like that? Because that has to be the ultimate question, I think, for any organization. Is, is their information secure? And do they meet the privacy requirements under the law? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? This is one of the main findings of the research. At first, I thought, based on privacy, they would adjust how they would use those devices. Mm -hmm. But so what we found, or what I found, is that a lot of people don't want to use them to begin with just because of those fears. So the reason why my sample is so low is there's employees that have considered it, but they haven't. They just, they're, you know, they're saying privacy issues of I don't know if Facebook's listening. I don't know if Amazon's listening. They're probably listening. So it's too raw. It's not interesting. Or it's too early in the process. It's too early, yeah. So because just adapting current technology for a business isn't necessarily the way to go right now. Absolutely. And and maybe it has to come from within. A large corporation tests it themselves on their own employees, figure out their issues, and then maybe sells that as a package. And I even had employees who were using it at their work because their organizations were developing it. And they told me, and I was like, oh, so then you must be using it at home, right? So now you're a tech person. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm not using it at home. I don't want my children exposed to it. I, I'm very worried of the privacy and security issues of those things. So even those individuals who were using it at work, 
felt uncomfortable using it at home. So I think we'll need to see several layers of refinement of those technologies before it becomes mainstream. However, there's also individuals who have decided to bring those Google Homes to work. Maybe their managers or their boss doesn't necessarily know no, it, they're and they're exposing it. the organizations to some of the issues. And so those are other things that are coming out. Do we have policies written up in organizations to capture those some of those issues? Um, turns out we do not have those yet. Um, right. You know, it's efficient, but it's maybe listening. And if there's something that happens in the office and it's recorded it, then are we li- so there's liabilities issues that we haven't really thought about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the information, the privacies. And yeah. so it's it's a big concern. It's one of the big reasons why a lot of individuals I've interviewed were uneasy with using them. And so that was the vast majority. Those that were using it said, I want to use it because I don't want the technology to pass me by. Like I, it's sort of so like, it's like they have to keep up with yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Right. They, they just they're like, this is where the world is going. We're going to lose privacy. We're going to lose social interactions. Well, it's, Big Brother's always looking down on us already. So what's the diff? And it was exactly it was really black and white. No, I don't trust it or I have to give into it. And it made different usage uh, of the technology. Some were some people were very reluctant, maybe using it for their iPhones and others just kind of bought into it. And they were both sort of scary because if you don't use it and the world goes there, then you you will be passed by. Be passed by. Yeah. Was there a difference with your sample size? And I know you said it was small, but yeah. was there a difference in size of organization? Because, I mean, an organization of 10 yeah. is very different to an organization of 100 or 1,000. Was there yeah. differences there in, in reaction to using? And I... I could say not so much in reactions, but how they were using them. Right. Right. So if it's a small company, it was mostly just for, I categorize them in three categories. One of them is to search information, right? So people okay. are bringing them at the office to just quickly have access to change music, change weather, find the information, find a number, um, just like you would do with your phone, but right. in the office, okay. speeding up that. Small startups, individuals, independent consultants, that's how they were using it. And there was another layer, which was more of like the idea of automating processes, call Roger, you know, and it's sort of like pre-programmed and you're making that phone call. Right. Um, and, and that was at the, the large firms, the call centers are deploying that in the small firms. But then the third level was the idea of like, it's got that augmentation effect, a multiplicative, multiplicative power of AI. And that was just a large company that could do it. You need heavy knowledge behind it and it's more expensive. So only large corporations can do it. But once you deploy it, you can apply it to thousands of employees. Sorts of like an IBM Watson, right? Um, where they, you know, their HR department is augmented, and if you have questions about payroll about anything, you sort of go through the chatbot first. Okay. Until if you've exhausted all options, maybe there's an email address that you can send an email to, but you are able to resolve most of your issues with HR about payments, performance appraisals, yearly evaluations through that interface. And you find yeah. lots of answers there, lots of solutions. And it's it's the power of 10. It was described to me as I have the power of 10 individuals behind me to do my work. Um, and I, I think that is where the world is going. Did any of them talk about the issue of, well, we don't have the skill set yet to put these chatbots within our system and feel safe that way. That's been that's been put in correctly. Because I know myself. Whenever I put some new software on, I'm scared that I've done one little thing wrong that's going to stuff it up for me, and therefore not going to do what I want it to do or what I thought it was going to do, which could have further implications yeah. down the track. So was that one of the areas too that was an issue or not? It 
it's not something that didn't come up necessarily in the idea of IT, and also because I wasn't getting into like how large were the firm. But there was one difference between the large organizations and the small organizations in terms of IT force. Mm-hmm. Uh, individuals that were bringing it to their office, they weren't changing the technology, they were changing themselves to the technology. Okay. You say they were changing their processes of hard. They were now. I'm not going to call Roger this way. It's going to have to be Roger S because there's several of them. Like they would change and adjust their processes to the fact that these apply or these devices are not so much flexible. The large corporations who were building those chatbots, they were going the other way around. It's sort of like we're changing how employees were using it to the processes themselves. So they had. Uh, if there were securities in- issues in it, maybe they were able to tackle that to be able right. to respect the rules. Right. So there's kind of those two two adoption mode that are happening at the same time. One's a bottom-down, people are bringing it themselves to work with the boss knowing or not, and there's the other ones where the boss is assigning it. We're gonna do it company-wide. And and they're not mutually exclusive. You could have, within the large organizations, you're still bringing Google Home, on, and then you get a Watson chatbot, another chatbot in the right, background. Right, right. So all those applications uh, happening at the same time could, could be happening there. But no, we didn't have really the discussions about securities and privacies, and this is sort of segues of the work that I'm interested in the future, perhaps, like the, it's been a concern. A lot of people have ex- expressed that as um, being afraid of how's my data going to be used? Where is it right. stored? Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with it? And can, you know, in the business schools, you sort of assume they're going to probably try to use your data to improve their software so that they can be better at marketing, which means more sales. And tracking. Because I would have thought the tracking, because yeah. the, the point of some of those chatbots is, well, even when you do it the old fashioned way is keeping track of what conversations you've had with potential clients, et cetera. So the tracking part of it. That's part of it for sure. Yeah. So I guess the other thing that scares people, anytime we talk IT and how quickly things are changing, we know in various companies, car industries, a classic example, where some people have been replaced by technology to quicken up the process, which is the point of some of this IT, is to quicken a process, make things a bit easier, but it has taken people's jobs. Now, it has given other people jobs, but it's still taken a lot of those that do more of the manual labor type thing. You know, not the, what I'm saying in organizations, there's different levels of people, there's the workers and then there's the managers, et cetera, et cetera. What have you found about or have you heard and, and what do you think of the future of these bots yeah. knowing that potentially it's going to replace people's positions if we get the processes done really really well yeah so i would say anything that's about automation tasks that are and we've seen that before like as you've mentioned you know industries just being changed with robots coming into place mm-hmm. so we've learned from that and hopefully f- through my research is to bring it to light that we just need to think about it ahead of time because I think it will replace some of the jobs, but there's different tiers, right? There's the idea of searching information, automating basic processes, and then the idea of the knowledge worker will be augmented with technology. So we will lose jobs on some levels, but it's the idea of having policies to reform and not so much reform, but retrain and retool those employees and think of it ahead of time. But it was described to me as there will be costs on one side of losing some work, but on the other, it's maybe even scarier. It's the idea of like social exchanges. Mm-hmm. A lot of the interactions that we're going to have, and we're seeing this with the world of ordering deliveries at our house instantaneously, yes. you could stay home all the time. Well, now some of your colleagues are becoming digital employees, and right. your interactions are, are just not as social as they used to be. And how how's that going to become the reality of tomorrow? What will that be as an impact on us as a society? 
And so I don't have the answers yet, but the idea is that, you know, we have to revamp some of the policies and think about these issues now. And it just echoes the literature. The literature right. is going there. And what I talked to individuals, that's sort of what they, they were mentioning. We're going to save time, maybe some money, but we're going to interact with others a bit less. Yeah. Can I ask a, a, a question here, talking about re some jobs will be lost, but others will yes. be gained? Totally get that. So if all things being equal, it'll be a nice balance. So it's still Hopefully. the same number, right? However, those people who have lost, if they're, and I'm going to sound a bit ageist here, but if they're in an age where technology was not huge mm -hmm. for them growing up, and I'm one of those, yeah. You'd like to think that if they're losing their current job, that they could be retrained. But retraining means going into IT or being more technical to a point. What happens if they're not at a level that they can be trained mm -hmm. in the in these new processes? That That's the bit that's going to scare people because they're probably at an age where it's going to be harder for them to get another job outside that organization because of their age, even though we're not meant to even ask people their age in interviews. Yeah. But it's going to show by their resume and yeah. things how many, you know, how many years they've been working. So it's a, it's an awkward position because what happens with those that can't be retrained for various reasons? And it's not just age, it can be other things too. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't really have an answer for it, but that's a question that we need to ask. And hopefully we had seen some of those in the past where we've had robots coming in manufacturers and individuals maybe some of them losing their work. I'm not saying you need necessarily an IT, sorry, retooling mm -hmm. but, or re reworking, um, but as a society just to be aware of it. But yeah, that's a good question to which I don't have an answer yet. And, I, <laughs> I, and you know what's interesting? I don't know if I can come up with an answer, but yeah. just have this discussion taking place. Is, is, and I think that's going to be an important one because for, I mean, companies, organizations at particular levels are all about the bottom line. Yes. And so theoretically, IT can help reduce that bottom line. But then there's that human part, both in terms of the social side of things and within an organization, but yes. the moral side of it and ethical side of, 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 of it all, particularly as we're all living a little bit longer these days. Oh, that's right. So there's those things. That's my research. That's your research. <laughs> so that's going to keep you busy for a long time. I, I hope so. And so, hopefully, as I have mentioned, network with other researchers interested in some of the areas, mm -hmm. right? So I've spoken to researchers on the ethical side of it, on the right. legal side of it, some of them on the computer side of it, which are building the algorithms to avoid right. um, becoming, I don't know, acting strangely. And mm -hmm. so hopefully work with all of them together to come up with a future of work. Well, I think we're all, we're all uh, wanting to make the work or processes easier for people to understand. So I think that's an important part, but we've also got to look at the, what's the cost of, of doing that in both human cost and the financial cost so yeah you got your work cut out for you there <laughs> that's for sure so i i noticed when because i always ask the students you know what other things do you do outside of your actual studies because we need to keep a bit of balance or at least do something a little bit different to yeah. give, give your brain a bit of a break actually and you, you like to buy and renovate homes which i think for someone like me, it's nice to actually get your hands stuck into something, whether you're actually doing it yourself or at least planning it, which I think is nice. But you also bought one here in Kingston, which is um, which is really good because, as we know, Kingston's got a bit of a shortage of housing at the moment, which is which is not great, particularly for our PhD students to try and find affordable housing. 
but you've managed to find um, a place here that you've renovated and is now open for, you've got some grad students staying in there. So what made you want to do that? It's, it's interesting, right? So I would say, because I come from the management discipline, it's always a cost-benefit optimization. So <laughs> I had the choice to either rent for five years yes. or buy. And and I wanted to do this, 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 this interesting social experiment of buying a house. And I, I'm not sure if our students have had that issue, but you were to go look on Kijiji and you see very different types of ads of places. And I was yes. looking for myself and I was like, I don't fit in that. I don't fit here. I don't fit here. Right. Nothing really. So I wanted to engineer the perfect home, which I was to describe as the house of knowledge. So right, I bought a house, great. which is great, right? So <laughs> bought a house and there's about seven of us or eight, depending. And I just wanted to bring in graduate students only yeah. that were very mature in different areas. Which is great. Yeah, so I found myself over the past two years, we've had people from law, from management, from archeology, span epidemiology, environmental studies, history, and so we get together at night and we are all lonely because research yeah. in graduate schools is very, it's a lonely endeavor, but we're lonely together. So right. like this. And the conversation must be yeah, fantastic at night. It's quite good. So I, I go home and I, re-energize by just sharing some of my issues and I realize that others are having the same issues as me in mm -hmm. different faculties and we're not so different but also learning about theirs which brings me maybe a minute of you know forgetting what I'm studying right. on, which is quite a nice but no it's just the power as a as a group was was pretty helpful and um, no it's been good and some of those it's going back to the network, mm -hmm. right? So they're going to graduate. They're going to become their own professional managers. And I don't know. Hopefully one day there's a Wikipedia page that says, hey, these people shared this house. It was influential <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things. That, that'd be sort of my dream. But so far, we're on par to, to get there. It's well, what pretty... is nice is thank you for bringing some extra accommodation for grad students. There we go, too. That's <laughs> so, very true. Because <laughs> that certainly helps. But I think it would be fascinating. Like, like I said, each evening, you wouldn't need TV and things because you just chat about like you said about your research yeah. and who's got an issue who's got not an issue who's got a problem within their research that maybe as a group coming from different angles we can help sort of foc refocus you on, on certain areas and things and that's exactly what happens right when it's time to apply for like shirt grants or insert grants mm -hmm. we all get together hey did you apply are you right. you're gonna do it right gonna do it. Like, yeah i'm gonna do it we're like oh i have a paper i don't feel like i want to send it to a conference i'm like you should you tell should. me what's your what are your your blockers and we talk about it and they they came to grad day to, to hear me out right so i was good i was that's invited. good and uh, yeah, it's been. And when they have presentations, we go to their present. We support each other, which is good. Yeah. So we're all about trying to create those communities, yeah. and you've actually made a nice little community in your Within, own house, which yeah. must be nice for you too. When you're only here for a few days, and then going back home to to see your family, that you've got a, a place to stay. Yeah. And not have to worry. You, you got your room. Yeah, you have my You got room. your house, but you got a room exactly. in the house. <laughs> and it's it's sufficient and it's great. I, yeah, it's so it's been very good to to sort of get together. Mm -hmm. so it can be very isolating sometimes to be a grad student, but that that's that's a good way a of lot. doing it. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, you know we've come to an end. <laughs> And it was interesting because I always say when I'm sort of talking to people, you know, we've only got 29 minutes and, you know, it can go really slow and all this sort of thing. But I knew with Jasmine we would have no problem filling the time <laughs> after to you know, listening to the, the research day and, and what you did there and chatting with people after and answering questions. So thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Good. Best of luck with your research. Thank you very Safe much. travels to and from Ottawa. Yes. Because um, we always have to be careful. Absolutely. But uh, I do appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much.
So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, Android or Stitcher. Just type in a Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.